Welcome to the Vaco County Pulse. This special legislative edition of The Pulse is focused on the issues before the 2019 General Assembly session. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia County governments. I'm Joe Lurch, Vaco Director of Local Government Policy, and your host for this segment on the Virginia General Assembly. Our show today is sponsored by Aetna, a leading healthcare company that is helping public and labor employees on their path to better health. My guest today is Vika Lobbyist and Director of Government Affairs, Katie Boyle. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. First, uh, we're on day 45 of a 46-day session. So on this penultimate day of the, of the 2019 session, the only business allowed before each chamber are bills that are in conference or certain joint res- resolutions. Uh, VACO staff has been quite busy the past few days tracking these final bills uh, as they make their way for a final vote and passage. Um, Katie, uh, in, in what is our fifth in a series that began just over a month ago, we're, we're down to the wire. And let me ask you, how, explain how the, the conference, you know, bills in conference work, and then maybe discuss kind of the big bill in conference right now, which is the budget bill. Well, sure. Um, thank you for having me. Nice use of the word penultimate. Very impressive. Thank you. Um, yeah, so so um, the conference process is sometimes a little bit mysterious. Um, so what, what will happen is, you know, it's a bicameral legislature. So um, say a House bill will get passed by the House, goes over to the Senate. The Senate will make some amendments. Um, if the House patron agrees with the amendments... Um, he or she, when it comes back to the House, can ask for the amendments to be approved. But if he or she doesn't like the amendments, then the motion is to reject them. And so um, then the, the Senate would then insist on its version. The House would accede to the Committee of Conference, and then they both appoint conferees. So it actually it takes a little while sometimes to make this happen. And yesterday was the last day for bills to get put into conference. So both the House and the Senate were here till 830 last night, just sort of going through those procedural steps that have to happen to get a bill into conference. So... Um, so there are a fair number of bills that are in conference. And so that'll be sort of just a small group of legislators. You know, usually it's sort of three from the House, three from the Senate. The bill patron will be one of those um, one of those uh, participants. Um, and so they will get together and come up with a conference report. And sometimes that's picking one approach or another. Sometimes it's a whole new bill. So when it comes out, it's a conference report and it's an up or down vote on both floors. So there's no amendments permitted to it at that point. Um, and so I guess it's fair to say that once it goes into conference, it's not in committee anymore. It's right. not very transparent. There, there's no re- recordings. It's, yes. And, and I know for, for staff, um, you know, sometimes we get contacted by patrons and other lobbyists mm-hmm. and we start to review. But ultimately, it kind of sits with those legislators. And as you said, you could have a bill that comes out that's totally different. Right. Yeah, it's it's a little hard at this, t- this point of the session because, you know, when you say a conference committee, it sounds like it's like a committee, like an, a standing committee. But really, it can be just, you know, a couple of legislators sort of huddling or talking amongst themselves um, and then just kind of letting you know or maybe asking a question. Sometimes you're asked to consult on it. But, yeah, it's it's um, things happen really fast in this last day or two. So, um, and as you said, the budget uh, um, has actually been in conference for a while. That's a little bit more formal of a process. Um, And so, you know, we uh, made our wishes known on some priority items with conferees. Um, They usually tend to negotiate in sort of smaller groups, so you can kind of work on folks that are um, working on HHR stuff, for example. Um, And then we've asked members, we've we've sent um, a memo out and asked members to weigh in on certain really high-priority issues. And, um, you know, now we're just kind of waiting to see what happens. You know, there's a lot um, 
there's always a lot of rumors flying around this time of year about you know whether they're almost ready or whether they're very far apart. Um, we have heard that a deal may be at hand. Um, you know, there, we have heard that a sticking point was higher ed. Um, we had also heard earlier in the week that funding for I-81 was was um, under discussion as part of budget. Uh, deliberations, but I think you may have some more recent yeah. information about that. Yeah, so we we kind of thought that that would be part of that discussion, but what actually has happened, and we've reported on this in, in previous um, uh, podcasts and, and through our newsletters, uh, Capital Contact, that there were two bills, one in the House, one in the Senate, uh, Senator Obensheen and Delegate Landis, that would create a fund for improvements to ID1, uh, estimated at over $2 billion uh, that the Commonwealth Transportation uh, Board put together in a plan uh, that the General Assembly from last year required them f- to do. Um, they had uh, tolling as a part of that, but uh, that was stripped from both bills, so it ended up just being uh, basically creation of the fund and then for a study, a, a committee to come back with a study. The Both bills were slightly different, and so it ended up in conference. And the latest kind of uh, rumors we're hearing is that there's an effort now to seek some actual funding on I-81 through this bill. Um, we'll wait to see what happens, you know, whether it's tolling, it's fees. We, we have no idea. It's kind of like we said earlier. Once it goes into conference, uh, we'll have to wait. Now, um, Katie, let me ask you this because, uh, you know, the, the House and the Senate, I think, most recently, and if I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, then they kind of passed their own rules to say that once they get a conference report on the budget, they have to wait 48 hours before they, each chamber can act. But, but those rules are kind of squishy. They could be waived, right. right? That's right. Yeah, that was put in place a couple of years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but the idea is to have um, members have some opportunity to kind of read through the conference report. Um, they get briefings from their staff. Um, so uh, we're kind of up against that at this point. You know, the the signy die, the adjournment is supposed to be tomorrow, so it would be a little hard to get that done. But, you know, they can waive that rule if, yeah. if they want. Um, so, yes, I mean, we'll see. So I, I think there will be an effort to let members have some time to look at it, but it may not be, you know, 48, 48 hours. Yeah, stay tuned. And I guess, you know, for, for a lot of these members, they want to get back to their regular day right. jobs. But then the other thing is we've got an election year coming up, and the sooner they can get out of session, the sooner they can do fundraising and start working on their that's campaigns. True. Yeah, right, that's reports. true. I mean, and yes, it's you know it's a hardship for folks who are um, who have other jobs to be you know taking carving this time out for public service. So I think there is, you know, uh, and I think having a deadline tends to focus discussions too. You know, where where people are are sort of have a sure. you know an, an incentive to, to kind of compromise and, and make a deal. So, yeah. I mean, I think we're hopeful that we can we can be finished on time. Now, before we kind of wrap up with what we expect next um, uh, with the session ending and, and what happens after that, there's one bill that um, of, of interest uh, that we've been tracking. It was a bill by um, James Edmonds, delegate from Halifax County, um, that would authorize uh, the county to do a referendum for a 1% sales tax at the local level, 20-year period, to help pay for a high school that is just in, in grave disrepair, is actually a hazard. Um, tell us a little bit about that bill, because it started out different, mm-hmm. it, it died, or, or how did this end up? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting kind of case study, I think, um, watching this, you know, what seems like a little bill, but actually kind of gets at some broader policy questions. Um, so, yeah, Delegate Edmonds had put this bill in on behalf of Halifax County. Originally, it was it was broad, and it would have um, let all counties and cities have this type of authority to levy an additional local option sales tax. It had to be for school construction, and it had to be 
um, via referendum. So, you know, in order to get that bill out of the House, he really had to limit it pretty significantly. And, you know, he and the folks from Halifax worked on this bill really hard. I mean, there was really compelling testimony in subcommittee, in full committee, in the Senate. Um, and I think people really made the case that they really needed some help and were willing, you know, to do sort of local self-help in order to get this high school renovated. And so, um, so in order to get yeah, to get this through the House, it had to be limited just to Halifax. The rate was capped at two percent. They put a twenty-year expiration on it. Um, so and then the, I think it was even modified in Senate. To it was. 1%. It walked. Yeah, up, it, walked yeah, it was limited even half. further. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, in the House, it, it came out of the House Finance Subcommittee. Then it failed in full committee. Uh, it was tabled, and then you know, sort of in the in the bosom of the committee, and he was able to convince the um, some members to bring it back up, and so it reported out past the House. Of course, you know, this is now considered to be special legislation because it just applies to one county, so you have to get a supermajority vote. Um, and so, yeah, there was really interesting discussion in Senate Finance and on the Senate floor about, you know, there's there's always a tension between wanting to um, address problems as they arise and trying to avoid piecemeal solutions to problems, you know. And so there were some testimony and some some members feel that they would really like to do a broader examination of the causes of local fiscal stress and sort of the tax structure and what the state pays for versus what the localities pay for. And, you know, I think we would support re-examining that issue. Sure. Um, and then some members had said, yes, that, that is true, and we support that, but these people really need help now. And so we should authorize this sort of limited approach now to address the problem at hand. So it's a really interesting. And and also, you know, a, another issue that, that I know you've worked on really extensively is how the, um, the solar... The, the treatment of solar facilities factors into the sure, Halifax yeah. County. So you can yeah, talk about so, that. Yeah, so, you know, one of the interesting pieces of the testament, I think what helped revive the bill was the fact that um, the state several years ago, and we've touched on this in, in our writings and in other podcasts, have mandated an 80% exemption from local machinery and tool tax on solar equipment. And Halifax County, which is, you know, progressively, you know, um, you know, accepting some of these applications for what are these large-scale utility solar facilities, they've actually approved six of them. And part of what they're saying, if the state had not mandated that tax exemption at the local level, they would have been able to raise the revenue via these uh, installations and actually pay for the improvements. There was actually a bill from uh, Delegate Wright that uh, I think James Edmonds had signed on to that would have peeled back that um, ex- mandatory exemption uh, sooner, um, which VACO had actually supported. It did fail in subcommittee, but it started a discussion. And in fact, the um, uh, you know uh, the solar industry, these you know going out in these counties, rural areas, building these. I think they're under the recognition that if they want to be you know good partners with counties, then maybe we can scale back this sooner, and that could be something that'll be coming up uh, for for the next session. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah, that was really important, and and I think it's it's also important to to note that this is a local option. It still goes a referendum. Mm-hmm. It's twenty years, and and you're right. It, the discussion was really fascinating on the floor. I mean, you had some that just didn't want to authorize any tax increase at the local level, uh, but particularly a co-chair of Senate Finance, uh, Senator Andrew Hanger, who was opposed to it. It was really on the philosophical grounds, like you said, that we're kind of doing these piecemeal things and we really need to come up with kind of a broader solution. So maybe that'll be a good discussion uh, in coming years. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Now, all right, so what are the next steps? So we it appears we'll have some sort of budget deal 
in the next day or two. Of course, you never know. Right. There could be something. That's right. It ain't it, over till it's over. Yeah, yeah, till it's over. So what happens after the General Assembly uh, uh, adopts a budget and, and then they adjourn? What, what happens next in the process? Yeah, um, so the next step is the governor um, has a chance to weigh in. Now, some bills that passed earlier in the session, he has to act on within seven days. But most of the things that have passed you know, recently, he's got um, until March 25th to take action on. So he can make amendments. He can sign bills or he can veto them. And so the um, General Assembly then has a chance to respond to those actions. So the governor will be um, releasing his amendments March 25th. April 3rd is the reconvene session. So the General Assembly will um, take up those um, amendments or vetoes. And then after that, the governor then has another 30 days to take sort of final, final action. So, for example, if he amends a bill, they, the General Assembly rejects his amendments, he can then veto the bill. So he kind of has the last word. But that's kind of sort of the, yeah, the real conclusion of the legislative session is actually really not till sort of May. So, yeah. yeah. And I think unlike last year where we it kind of extended, I think we're definitely going to end on time. And, and speaking to that, um, one of the things that we do every year, year here as staff is we kind of do a, a wrap-up document, uh, a summary of all the legislation that have passed and some of the significant ones that have mm-hmm. failed. We've actually started calling all that, getting that together. That'll be something that will be fine-tuned and that we'll have after um, the veto session. And it's kind of a big resource. It lets a lot of our members, listeners, particularly county administrators, say, here are the changes in law, things that you need to um, you know, be aware of. Of course, the big thing is now a lot of our counties are adopting budgets, so they're really watching, you know, mm-hmm. changes in law, but more, more importantly, changes in the budget. So I think this um, wraps up, um, you know, our fifth uh, special edition on, on the uh, legislative session for the County Pulse. I want to thank all the staff that have been working hard, and also want to do a special uh, shout-out to our producer of the County Pulse, Gage Harder, yes. who's been helping us put this together. And Gage has been working fiercely not only on this, but on the Capital Contact and continuing to do the newsletter. So that's it for the County Pulse for this edition.